The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for all you've done. We're thankful, as Joe was saying, that we get to gather together every single Sunday and sing songs and open your word, hear the word preached, pray together, fellowship together. Lord, what a blessing it is. I pray that we'd enter this time that as we look at your word, may we see and behold you and who you are and all that you've done. Lord, let us examine ourselves. And then, Lord, I ask that you would help us to be changed. Help us to be more and more like you through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's a strange magic that's fallen over my house. And I have a feeling that it probably has fallen over many of yours if you're married. Um, Because every time... I go to my refrigerator to look for a specific item. I look for it, and I cannot find it. And so I ask my wonderful wife, Jesse, will you please come help me find the hot sauce? And she comes, she looks exactly where I'm looking, and then suddenly it appears. I don't, I don't know. Just the other day, looking for toenail clippers. Or fingernail clippers, if that offends you, okay? Toenail clippers. This is an item I can never find. And so I go, and, I, and what's happened is this has happened so many times in the 10 years of marriage that I don't look very hard anymore because I know they're going to appear. And so I checked one drawer, and I said, Jesse, I don't know where these toenail clippers are. And she comes and looks in the drawer, and it appears. It just, I, think it just, I think there's a veil over my face or, or the toenail clippers just materialize in front of me. I, I don't know. But every time it happens, I'm like, I swear, I looked right where you're looking, and they were not there. Does this strange magic happen in your house as well? Yes. Okay. I'm glad. I'm not glad, because it exists. But what's really happening is that I'm just lazy. What's really happening is that I've just grown accustomed to looking and not finding it in the first one or two spots, and then me asking my wife where the things are, and she finds it immediately. That's what's happened. I've done this for 10 years, over and over again. Same process. Every single week. Happened yesterday. Every single week I go through this, and yet I can never find what I'm looking for, and then when my wife shows up, it appears. That can happen... I think that's what's happened as we enter our text this morning, and I think that happens a lot in our lives, but in much more serious ways. 
You know, we, we live in a rhythm of life, which is good. I'm thankful for the rhythms that we live in. But what happens all the time is if we don't have people in our life, if we're not exposed to the Word of God, we get used to things. We get used to idols. We get used to sin that start off as pet little sins, but then all of a sudden, well, actually not all of a sudden, progressively over time, it grows and grows and morphs into something to the point where it's got a foothold in your life, in your heart, in your household. And we need something to intervene to show us those things. Because what happens is we just become deceived, self-deceived. We've grown accustomed to it. And we don't look for it anymore. Well, we come to 2 Kings. I want to back up a little bit because the key to this text that we're going to be in, these two chapters, we really have to do work to gain the context of what's going on here. All right? We really have to do I have an old science school teacher who said we have to breathe the dust in the air. And for this, to just go in and just start reading it, it would do us a great disservice. We have to know what's going on. So I back up a few hundred years before even our text starts to King David. And after King David, his son Solomon reigned. And that was the golden years of Israel. All the tribes of Israel were under King Solomon, being ruled by King Solomon. And there was prosperity. The temple was built. All these great things were, hap- were happening. But towards the end of King Solomon's reign, he began to depart from the Lord. And the text even says that he began to depart from the Lord. And he did this by introducing letting things slip in. Because see, King Solomon had a thing for lots of ladies. He had many wives. Many wives who served other gods. And so he began building what's called high places. These places where they could go and worship these other gods. And sometimes these high places were used to worship God, but they were the wrong place. They were supposed to be worshiping in the temple. And then all these idols started coming in to Israel and to the tribes of Israel. And after King Solomon dies... Israel splits in two. You have the ten tribes of Israel as one kingdom, and then you have Judah and Benjamin on their own, and we'll refer to them as as Judah, because that's what the Bible refers to that kingdom as. And then all of a sudden you have two separate kings ruling two separate kingdoms for a very long time. And what you'll see, because we don't have time to read all this, that would take forever, is that all of these kings, let's, let's start with the kings of Israel, All the kings in Israel were awful. None of them followed after the Lord. It just got perpetually worse as time went on. Years, decades, centuries went on until the point where God judges Israel and they are destroyed by the Assyrians and exiled. By the same time that's going on, Judah is following the same sort of path. The only exception with Judah is that there's some bright spots along the way. You have some kings like King Asa. You have kings like King Hezekiah who follow the Lord. But what you'll see, and if you look, and when you go home, if you read this, at the end of many of these kings' reigns, it says, but they neglected to take down the high places. And so they did a lot of good things. They led the people to follow the Lord, but not everything would always be overturned to follow the Lord. So many kings happen, and then we get to Manasseh, king of Judah. This guy was the worst. Awful. Any reforms that had happened had been stricken down by him. The streets ran red with blood of innocent people. 
It was a wicked and pagan place under his rule. In this darkness that, it, that had always kind of been progressively penetrating Israel and Judah was really just covering. And so when we come to 2 Kings, we see this darkness over the land. Because after Manasseh was Ammon, and he continued in that, but after Ammon, we get to our text with King Josiah. And I really want us to feel the darkness and the sin and the idolatry in the land. That in homes, they were worshiping other gods and shrines set up. They would go into the temple to worship. This is the temple of God, right? The temple of God that King Solomon set up, they would go in and there would be shrines to other gods. There would be prostitution to worship and communicate with pagan gods. There were mediums, necromancers to communicate with the dead. All these things that God had outlawed are now instilled in the people of God. In the land, it has become ingrained so much. But then we get to chapter 22, and we see that the Word of God reveals. Read with me in verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Hadiah and Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And so we have Josiah comes on a throne when he's eight, and he's falling after the traditions of the good kings of King David. Let's keep going in verse 3. And I hope you're shocked by what I'm about to read, okay? Because every time I read this, even up here, every time I read it, I'm like, what? In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold had collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is to the carpenters, to the builders, and to the masons. And let, the, let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they will deal honestly. So, so far, so so far, so good. Josiah is trying to institute these reforms. He's following after God. He even sends people to go in and to repair the temple. And then we get to verse 8. In the midst of those repairs, we see this. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Stephen the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I don't know about you. Every time I read that, I'm like, what happened to it? Where did it go? What do you mean you found it? Is this not present everywhere you go? The book of the law, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the thing that God had revealed to his people when he delivered them out of Egypt to let them know about himself and how to live in the land. This book of the law, what do you mean you found it? What does this imply? It implies that they've been without it for a long time. And furthermore, they've haven't been following it for a long time. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. 
And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house that you have delivered into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. A book. He's just given me a book. This would be like me going to Breck's house right now, looking at all his old books and being like, oh, Bible. I haven't seen one of those in a while. He's given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. But what I want you to see here, because I, I think what's happening, the context is showing us, they've been without the law, which means that they haven't been following the law, which means they haven't been very concerned about God for a very long time. They haven't been concerned with the rules of God. They haven't been concerned with what we just saying, that the law is a delight to their souls, but they have been without it. And it shows how ingrained that sin and idolatry have made its way into the land. And by that, I mean into the hearts of the people. But it happens the same way for us. None of us wake up one morning and we're like, you know what? I think I'm going to start worshiping money today. That doesn't happen for us. No. It happens progressively over time. We give way to little pet things over time which grow and grow and grow. And what, I, what is idolatry? Idolatry is anything you set in place of worship of God. When we should be worshiping God, we worship something else. And for many of us, none of us really have shrines set up. We kind of covered this when we went through Exodus a while ago. I don't think any of us have any shrines set up in our homes. I don't know, maybe you do. I hope not. <laughs> but for us, it's a lot more subtle. You know, I can remember when me and my wife were dating, um, I was just talking about this last week to some people. Um, when me and my wife were dating, we, we knew each other since seventh grade, but we didn't know each other in a dating way until I was in college, okay? And so we spent two years uh, living about two and a half hours away. So all of our conversations were by phone. We'd call each other. And then when, when something sparked, you know, we got into an argument about something, you know what you can do? You just click over, and then the next day, everything's fine. Everything's good. It's like those things just disappear. Well, guess what happened? Whenever we got married, we spent the first year unpacking all of those neglected things that we've been clicking the phone on. We fought like cats and dogs all the time. Many of those times, we're on our way to church. We get out of the car at church. We've been uh, mad at each other, talking very badly to each other. Get out of the church, open the door. Oh, hey, brother, what a great day in the Lord today. <laughs> yes, let's worship together. And then we look at each other like. <laughs> well, what had happened is I let control, because me, I, I like to have control over things. And I know my wife does too. We like, to, we like to feel in control of things. And when something's not going our way, we get angry about it. But what had happened, we let this build up over a long amount of time. And then all of a sudden it started exploding on us. But we let things like that enter our lives all the time. And what I want us to do this morning is, as we continue to look at this, we need to turn over those stones. Don't be afraid to take a look at your life. See the things that you have been letting grab a, or establish a foothold, a stronghold in your life. Because that's what's been happening in our text here. We have it so ingrained in the people. I mean, even in Exodus, when the people left Egypt, they had been in Egypt for so long, 
right? But the, the second that they doubt God and they doubt Moses, they set up a golden calf to worship, an idol. And they do that because, oh, that's, we've been in Egypt for so long. That's just what you do, right? It's the same here. It's the same here. But when a stronghold like this forms in our lives, something has to intervene. Because when a stronghold of sin like this is going to become so ingrained in you, you need something outside of yourself to intervene. Why? Because what does it do? You become self-deceived. You can't see it. You need someone. You need something outside of yourself to help you. One thing that has really, over the years, and I still struggle with this, a rhythm that I've established in my life is you, I go to work Monday through Friday, and then when Saturday comes, I'm like, rest day, right? It's a fun day. It's going to be a rest day. And this is a rhythm that I developed over a long time, but the thing is, and even me and Jesse, we had this rhythm in our life, but then when you get kids, you don't just get to sit on your butt on Saturday, Right? Your kids wake up before you do, and they're like banging on the door. And all of a sudden, I remember remember it's starting to happen on Saturdays. I would get so angry on Saturday mornings. So I'm like, I just want to rest today. It's a rest day. I remember thinking, what what are they doing? Don't they know? Today is the day we're supposed to all rest. Why aren't they still asleep? That's not how life works. But what had happened is I I had built up this idol in my heart, this idol of leisure and rest on Saturdays. And and what happened is when I didn't get what I wanted, I became angry and my heart was revealed. But what we're going to see here and what we've already seen is that the, the word of God, the perfect law of God reveals our sin to us. It reveals our sin to us. Let's keep going. Verse verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Go, inquire. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 12. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikim the son of Shaphan, and Akbar the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah's the and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so here what we're going to see, right, the word of God has been exposed and now it has been read to the king Josiah and What's going to be required now is a response. There's always a response when God's word is read, preached, sang. There's always a response. And we see two responses here. We see the response of Josiah, and it's a good one. It's a response of humility, of seeking God. Let me ask you this. When you're confronted with your sin, how do you often respond? If your spouse points out a sin to you, say, hey, I've noticed this in your life, or maybe another brother or sister in Christ points out a sin to you, how do you respond? What does your response look like? Does it look like running, hiding, casting blame? It wasn't my fault. 
Maybe manipulating the circumstances, trying to justify your way out of it. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was on, uh, believe it or not, a tractor with my granddaddy. They were farmers. And um, I was riding with my granddaddy, and he was showing me how to drive it. And we had a trailer hitched to it. Well, I had made too sharp of a turn, and it hit the post. And I guess it was an old trailer because the hitch broke off. And I didn't even think. I, my, my initial response was jump off the tractor, run across the field, crying my eyes out because I was afraid of what granddaddy was going to do to me. Run across the field, go into my granny's house. I run in my room. I'm, I'm just in the corner crying. I'm just worried. I'm like, oh, my gosh, am I going to get a spanking? He's going to be so mad at me. And my granny came in, and she, she said, what's wrong? And I told her, and she said, do you even know your granddaddy? He loves you. He cares for you. He's not going to be mad at you. And sure enough, when he came in, yeah, he acknowledged I broke it, but there wasn't condemnation towards me. He embraced me. Told me it was all right. But a lot of times we forget this. We have the same response that Adam and Eve had in the garden when they sinned. They run and they hide. When you, when you sin, what do you do? Do you run and hide? I think most of us try and justify things, especially as we grow older, we just try and justify whatever it is we're trying to do. Whatever sin that we're holding on to, yes, but you see, I've been dealing with this. We try and develop these circumstances and these excuses in order to hold on to our sin. But that's not what we see in Josiah. And, and King Josiah, he, he was the king. He could, have he could have heard the law of God. He could have heard the word of God and said, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But instead, as we know from the text, he did not turn from the left or the right of God. He responded with true humility. True humility. Let's keep going in verse 14. Oh, not only that, he went to inquire of the Lord for his people. And so he, he was like, okay, I see we're in the wrong, because what he was probably reading is the book of Deuteronomy, and he's probably reading the list of things that if the people depart from God's law, there's a whole list of things that's going to go wrong for them, and they are gruesome and awful. And so he sees this, and he says, okay, we got to figure out what to do. He doesn't, try and, he doesn't just start doing things himself. He goes to inquire before the Lord. Then we come to verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Ekbar and Shopin and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikavah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man... Who you sent to me. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book of that king of, that Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they may provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. See how serious. This is. You see how ingrained it's been. You see how the sin has taken hold so much so and how offensive it is to God, the God who has delivered them, loved them, and cared for them, and has shown patience to them. Here he is, and he says, this is the end for Judah, just like it was the end for Israel. And then we get to verse 18. But to the king of Judah, who you sent to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God could have said, okay, I see what you said, but we're, we're going to continue on the path, right? And he does do that to some extent, because Judah is beyond repair. The people have sinned. They must be punished. And so God says, I'm going, my wrath is not going to be quenched against Judah. But we see Josiah and his humility devoted to the Lord, loving the Lord, wants to follow the Lord, even in the midst of destruction, Right? Because he doesn't know. He just says, okay, well, I guess we're going to be destroyed. But he wants to know the Lord. He wants to follow the Lord because his heart is humble before the Lord. And he, he could have just continued on the way, but instead he comes before the Lord with a penitent heart. He humbles himself, and the Lord says, I'm not going to destroy you. He says, therefore, verse 20, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. And before I go further into this, a danger for us, okay, is that we can read America into this passage. I just want, as a disclaimer, we're not going to do that. Because that's us punt-kicking our responsibilities, because a lot of times we'll say, America, we have national sins, which is true. This applies. We need to pray that America put away these idols. And yes, we should. But that does not neglect the responsibility we have as the people to put away sin and idols in our life. America is not the object of this. The object of this is the people of God. To hear the word of the Lord, to be humbled by the word of the Lord, and turn to the and turn to the Lord and his love and his care for you. But what we see here, just like every good movie, there's a montage. We're about to see a big old montage come up here. The Bible has them too. We see Josiah cleaning house because we saw the response of Josiah as humility before the Lord. He inquires for the Lord, what do I do? It's a model for us. When we, when we come and we see our sin, we should bring it before the Lord. We should humble ourselves before the Lord. And then we see the response of God as mercy towards Josiah. Mercy. Y'all remember earlier this year, was it in the fall? I can't even remember when we went through the book Gentle and Lowly. And we were reminded that the other end of confession, there is a God who loves you. Who, when you confess, when you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus, there is not guilt, there is not shame on the other side of that, but there is a loving Father. Let's keep going. Chapter, chapter 23, verse 1, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with him and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both great and small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant 
that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And so what happens? Josiah, is, it's read to him. He comes before the Lord in his in his. Uh, humility, and now he takes it. He doesn't just leave it to himself. He takes it before the people. His care is not just for himself, but his care is for the people of God. He doesn't just leave them out in the open. He could have just continued on. God's already said, hey, Josiah, you're going to see peace the rest of your days, right? He could have just continued on knowing that, but he doesn't do that. Why? We see the heart of Josiah as being devoted to the Lord. And what that includes is being devoted to God's people. He shares the word of the Lord with his people because he wants his people to seek after the Lord. He wants his people to bow before the Lord. He wants his people to know the Lord. I mean, isn't this what we do every single Sunday when we gather together? We, we hear the word preached, we sing. That's why it's so important that we're here. When we fellowship together, we're constantly pointing each other back to the word of the Lord. This is a weekly reminder for you to hear the works of God, to hear what God's done in your life, and to be reminded that you are not alone, and to be reminded that you are to humble yourself before God. Because these people in this room right here, the reason why it's so important to be present amongst these people is because these are the people that are going to see the ingrained sin and strongholds in your life. And these people are going to be the people that are alongside you, helping you fight that battle. This is for your good. And we see Josiah, he doesn't just leave it alone. He does all sorts of reform. I, I don't, we don't have time to read through the whole list, but I'm going to summarize it for you, okay? He orders the priests to remove all cultic vessels they used in the worship of false god, gods. They fi- he fires the pagan priests. He burns Asherah poles. He demolishes living quarters for male and female shrine prostitutes. He desecrates and tears down the high places, demolishes shrines at the city gates, defiles Topeth, which is, by the way, is a place where they would sacrifice children to appease gods. Takes ornamental horses from the temple entrance. Alt- he tears down altars on the rooftops of people's homes. He destroys the high places that Solomon built for his wives. And that's all in Judah. He doesn't stop there. He goes up into Samaria. He goes up into the other tribes, and he does the same thing. He does the same thing. And we see the zeal that he has. A zeal that he has concern because of his faith in God. It's not this thing that he has. A, he just wants to, hey, God, will you be pleased with me if I do this? No, he is devoted to God first. His heart has been changed and humbled before the Lord, and then that causes him to go and put away the sin, to put away these idols. But remember what we said at the beginning, this has happened somewhat before, right? Where kings would put away different idols, they would put away different shrines and that sort of thing, but always they would leave the high places. 
It's frustrating. At the end of the, each of these passages, it says, but the high places were still up. There was still a place. There was still room for you to go and worship a false god. There was still room to go and worship God falsely. Josiah didn't have none of that. He cleansed and purified the area because he knows that he needs to cleanse and purify the whole area because the nature of idolatry and of sin is that we like to leave these little pet things around. We like to leave little tidbits. You know, I'll clean this part of my life up, this main part of my life that people see, but this part that's private to me, I'm going to hang on to that. And what happens, especially for us as Christians, when we let sin into our lives and we're not around, we're not exposed to the Word of God, we're not around the, the, the brothers and sisters He's placed into our lives, what happens is the sin starts to creep in and it starts to form strongholds. It gets harder and harder and harder because this is the means by which God is used, by His Word to reveal, to pinpoint the root of your heart. Why are you sinning in this way? Why, why is this happening? He is he has ordained that his word, this re- it's a revelation of God to his people to read and see themselves as a mirror before God and see who they really are so that they may humble themselves, pray, and turn. But as Christians, temptation for us is to justify this with fake righteousness. We've seen this in the, the SBC recently. Pastor Casey a couple weeks ago shared with Share with us, I don't know if it was on Wednesday or Sunday, and many of you have seen the, the Houston Chronicle article that came out about the hidden list of hundreds of sexual predators in churches. What's, and you know what's the most sickening thing? One of the most sickening things is that one of the excuses given to keep this list in hiding and to keep it from the people is because we want to protect the, the character of the church. We want to we protect the reputation of Christ. That's evil. That's evil because you're neglecting the truth of what's happened and you're creating this false righteous reason in order to not share this list so that the sin can be dealt with, so that the problem, the ingrained sin in the people can be dealt with. Instead, you create this facade and you put this convenient label on it in the name of reputation of the churches. We see this too hitting closer to home. I've even heard men who have struggled with pornography but won't confess to their wives because they don't want to break their wife's heart. Because it will break her heart. But the problem is is that you're letting the sin continue for a fake, false reason. We have to take a look at ourselves and we cannot tolerate sin. In fact, we need to wage war against our sin. Wage war. Don't, I know there's people here today that have been dealing with sin. Maybe you've been dealing with it for years. Maybe it's something that's just come up. Do not let it go. Don't let it go. Because it will turn into a stronghold that needs to be torn down. But praise God that we have Jesus Christ. The perfect God-man who came down, who lived as we, who was tempted as we were tempted, but never sinned. 
but then was crushed for your and I's transgressions. We're crushed for these strongholds of sin so that we may be free from them. Don't be, don't be afraid of any circumstantial consequences that could happen if your sin is brought to the light. Don't be afraid of that. Fear God instead, because know on the other side of that, if you hold on to the sin and you never confess Jesus as Lord, as in Deuteronomy, there is judgment for you. I don't want to water that down. There is judgment and condemnation for you. That is what awaits you. But if you humble yourself and turn to the Lord, you turn to Christ, you will be saved. You will be saved. There is salvation for you. There is joy for you. There is freedom from the sin that you have so long been shackled to. Because God, once once he brings you into the family, he doesn't leave you alone. He will pursue you, and he will form you. He will continue to help you grow. Skip with me to verse 25 of chapter 23. Again, I wanted to not cover the whole list. I just summarized it for you. But here we see a holy God who is wholly devoted. Let me read this for you. Because this is after Josiah has put away all the sin in the land, all the, the things that have become ingrained. He has put it away. And, he, and it reads this in verse 25. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. I hope that your ears perked up a little bit. This sounds familiar. We've heard this throughout the Bible. And in fact, this whole time, there's been covenant language being used, and it's on purpose. In chapter 22, verse 19, it talks about Josiah's heart being penitent. In chapter 23, verse 3, it adds his heart and his soul being devoted to the Lord. And then here it talks about his heart, his heart, soul, and might. And what's trying to be communicated is the whole person, the whole person, not just the external person, but the inner man, the person that you are when no one's around, is to be devoted to God, to humble yourself truly before God. And he's pulling it from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Later on, Jesus would quote this when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He quotes that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is one God. He is holy and he is perfect. Turn to him. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love him with everything you are. Don't just give him Sundays. Don't just give him when you're at work. Don't just give him when you're at a Bible study. Give him everything. Trust him. Depend upon him with everything because he is worthy and he will change you. There's only been one man who has been completely, perfectly, wholly devoted to God, and that was Jesus Christ. And he's a greater picture of Josiah because Josiah is a king. He did great things, but he was just a man. He couldn't change the people's hearts. But Jesus came, perfect and holy, and was crushed for us so that we might not face this condemnation, so that we might not face what's waited for us if we do not repent and trust in him, so that we instead would inherit, be part of his family, 
forever and ever and ever. I'll just beg you this morning because the temptation, again, is to say that you're humble, but you're not. It's to put on a fake humility. You can say whatever you want. You can say big, fancy words. You can pray these elaborate prayers. But the Lord knows your heart. He knows your heart. I want to ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that right now the Lord knows everything about you? He knows what you're dealing with right now. He knows. I'm always struck by Mark 12. Again, that's where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then shortly after that, because the Pharisees and Sadducees are questioning him, trying to trap him, right? But shortly after that, you have the widow that comes into the temple and she gives everything she has. It's just two pennies, which to, or I think it's one penny, right? But, you know, compared to the Pharisees and Sadducees who are given all these things, she gives everything she has. Why? Because she is humble before the Lord, devoted to him. She cares about who she is before God and not before man. Don't be afraid of, of man. Fear God because judgment awaits, but then turn to God through Jesus Christ and know that there is no more judgment after that. There is an eternity of hope and help in this life because you will struggle and you will deal with sin on a regular basis, but now you're placed into a family and you're given the word of God to help expose that sin. So if you've never done that today, do it today. But maybe you're here, you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've been holding on to sin. Maybe there's a stronghold developed in your house that, hey, here you look good, but at home it's a wreck. Maybe, men, maybe you were like me. You expect that once you get off work, that your job's over. That you just get to rest because you've been at work all day. Or ladies too. But the real job starts when you get home. And you serve and love your families. There could be all kinds of things. But I want to beg you this morning, have the zeal and the passion that Josiah has. Truly humble yourself. Devote yourself to God and put away the sin. Confess the sin. Do not let it rule over you. There is hope for change. And read verse 26 and 27. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off the city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I have said, my name shall be there. And so we know that Judah is beyond repair as a nation. We know that it's going to be destroyed shortly after this. But hope is not found in an ethnic nation. Hope is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's remember that as we go from here. And know that there is help for you. You are not alone. Do not let sin go unturned. Let's pray.